0: Voice Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. Today, I'm very excited to be here with not only one of my favorite human beings, who's super smart and insightful, but he's also from one of my favorite bands I've worked with and one of my favorite bands to listen to, which is a rare, rare bunch. Um, Tom May of the Benzingers is a awesome, awesome dude, and we're going to get into creative process, thoughts on creativity, and decisions they've made we also talk about their new album that'll be out in the next few months and some of the thoughts that went on inside that record so uh once you get done with this if you're not familiar with the band i highly encourage you to browse through their stuff and get to know them as well i want to tell you about an ebook noise creators just put out A few years ago, I made a book called Get More Fans, the DIY guide to the new music business. The one complaint about it as it got massively popular, and it's now in its fourth edition. I'm working on the fifth edition as we speak. The big complaint was always that it was too long. It's 730 pages. Well, we made a version of it that you could read in 30 minutes to learn everything you need to know about promoting your music within it. So if you go to Noise Creators and then you click under the More tab, there's a tab that says Ebook if you head right there you can get that ebook for free and learn how to promote your music from us i hope you check that out and i hope you spread the word about noise careers and i hope you enjoy this interview thanks so much hey one second before we get started with this interview noise careers is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. I knew you guys very early on this, but I was curious was there like an initial thought with the band or was it more just that you guys were the proximity of friends who played instruments that had similar influences?
1: A combination of the two, I suppose. We had played, Eric and Joe and I had played together in a ska band. And my Greg played in a ska band with my brother. And, and do I recall um, this
0: was like something ridiculous, like a Full House reference or something? Uh, Bob and the Saggots. Yeah, adults. yeah. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Lots of lots of uh, smoking weed in high school. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, we yeah, we had all played together, and then we had decided we didn't really want to play that kind of music anymore, and wanted to play, you know, go back to playing punk and. Greg's band was wasn't doing much at the time, and we just had him come and uh, practice with us, and then yeah. So I guess definitely the the geographic coincidence of us all being there definitely played hugely into it, and it wasn't really thought. Out. I don't know how anything could be really that thought out when you're that age, but
0: it's it's true. And then the, then you, you you occasionally see like the the band that's a little bit preconceived, and what I what I always struck me with you guys, like you know, like the analogy I use for you guys a lot is that. When bands come into the studio, I can never predict if people are going to like the music, but I can predict when a band is going to go on to at least be the type of band that really tries and connects with people because they're good at hanging and they're well-developed, interesting personalities. And you guys really had that, I think, more than any younger band I had seen come through the studio. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Yeah, we definitely spent a lot of time hanging out, so we got good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was like that thing. Like, I remember Greg was uh, reading, like, these 9 11 conspiracy books, which we, at the time we thought were very true. Yeah, um, that could have been me as well. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, yeah, Yeah, I think we were all pretty deep in that. We were like, oh, have you seen this cheesy documentary that we later found out was a lot of lies? and.
1: Uh, I remember, yeah, I actually remember that. I didn't, I haven't thought about that in a long time. Well,
0: <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's funny, but like, I think, I think there is a thing of that. There's usually a little bit more depth of thought in uh, bands that go on to do something more. But enough blowing smoke up your ass about how great a teenager you were. Um, <laughs> how does a Menzinger song usually come into being since the two of you do individual songwriting? But how does it usually uh, come to being from one side or the other?
1: So usually now Greg writes more songs than I uh, do. And we do it, basically Greg or I comes up with lyrics, some lyrics, a cool chord progression, whatever. And then we come in and the four of us just jam on it until for hours until it just uh, becomes so redundant or sticks or it doesn't. And it really is a whole lot of just jamming. In fact, most of our best songs come from when we show up at practice. Every time that we would show up at practice, we just fuck around for about 45 minutes and just play whatever, play ridiculous styles of music or uh, silly covers and shit like that. And that, the, our best songs is always kind of, pulled out of that. So whatever the four of us, anytime there's four of us, there are playing all the time. So you mm-hmm. get, so, sometimes you'll be jamming and maybe two people are really into what it is and the other two people are just playing whatever to fill it in. Uh, but the times where all four of us are really stoked on what is going on and what we're playing is really when we come up with our, uh, our best stuff.
0: Hmm. So how developed usually is something when it comes in to before the four of you hit it though?
1: You know, it could either be something that has two verses chorus ready we just write a bridge or it could be something that's just barely developed at all maybe an idea or a saying or a phrase or, or whatever we came up with and try to develop an idea around it but oftentimes it is a full kind of at least a story and then afterwards you can go through it could be you know we've started reggae songs that ended up being the heaviest songs that we had after they were <laughs> weird clean guitar songs in the middle but yeah so the songs from what they actually are like the core of the song i'd say is definitely developed before we get there But then what happens after that is completely
0: entirely done just in person. So can you elaborate when you say stories a little bit more?
1: Sure. Yeah, like a vibe, Uh, whether the story is a couple of chords Mm -hmm. uh, that go together in a certain way or the actual lyrics and a story that's told or just the idea of hey I really want to write a song about this or about this event that happened and then that would be the story not necessarily beginning middle end with a climax or anything like that but just some kind of vibe that maybe you can't even really put into words but just kind of exists and has its uh, its own its own being
0: Nice. So, from going from a band through the years, as you guys have progressed, I'm curious if there's been any way, since you're one of the few bands I think that gets regarded as making better record after better record, that you guys... I imagine there's some outside forces that try to tell you what to do. Is there any advice that you figured out that you could impart to other musicians about how you've staved that off?
1: Staving off the advice, that the unsolicited advice? Yes. People are well intentioned, people mm-hmm. are bad intentioned, people are selfish, whatever. Uh, someone might be imparting advice to you just because they want to get something from you, or they might be imparting advice uh, to you because they want to boost their own ego, or they really just think that they know what is right or what is wrong. And you just have to realize when somebody, you know, it, you get off all these outside influences, but as long as everybody who's involved, or at least, the, you know, whoever's writing the songs, are in it together and on the same page and you just kind of always treat the residual information and forces as something that's outside and could take it or leave it i mean we got some best friends our manager tim is a good friend of ours great great guy yeah love him to death and he has great advice sometimes he's not so great advice sometimes and we just take it uh you know you take it as the four of us and how we feel about it so i'd say just try to maintain your own identity and mm.
0: yeah just uh take it or leave it you know So I'd be curious if there we could see any lessons you guys have learned throughout your records or that inspired any growth. Is there any example from record to record? Like thoughts that you guys have had when like, let's say you're developing Chamberlain weights from the material before, or et cetera, et cetera. That like you guys had thoughts of like, you know, we want to take a step of this, and th- that like with particular records.
1: It's not so streamlined and, and thought out. It wouldn't be like, you know, be able to make an outline mm. of it. Uh, it would be more so, hey, you guys listening to this band, check them out. Or wouldn't it be awesome if we did something like this? And when actually as a whole, when approaching the record. It's always been, yeah, we want to work with this producer because it's a little bit outside. We want to work with the, this person because they did these records. So when we were starting out, things like Chamberlain Waits and A Lesson, we kind of just – we were writing – we were creating music to create music. There wasn't any idea of like making a li- like living off of it and yes. we weren't making any money off it. So the, the whole thing we were doing was just to say how many – how what what can we write – That'll make us feel better and get more people to like climb on top of each other at shows. Like that was just hmm. the end goal, or how to. Uh, and then when we started to write the newer records, there is that idea like, well, what if somebody doesn't like it? And that can be a huge uh, dark thought process. Mm-hmm. But it's also easy not to get caught up in it if you just believe in, you know, just believe in it.
0: So, when you say though, so you, I, I think it's interesting. So you're talking about what if people don't like this? But then also the idea of like what makes people climb on top of each other is yeah. also like. Concerning yourself with the ex- external, is there a way that you bridge that of how you make creative decisions, like that you're able to see that from your perspective? Am I making sense?
1: Yeah, totally making mm-hmm. sense. Okay. I think that you could talk to some people who have these fantastic ideas of uh, I would only, you know, I only make music for me or like, you know, like fuck all you. That's kind of outrageous when you're playing in a band because why would you be playing shows? Why would you be, you know, like what, this is a shared experience. I'd even liken it, you can make a a, a silly parallel. It's What's the difference between you and like a traveling preacher from the the old days? You know, you show up in a town, a bunch of people who have shared ideas uh, about whether it's about life or politics or or whatever, Mm -hmm. show up together and everybody just, you know, sings and has a good time. To to deny the fact that you are making music for people, I think is, is really silly. To maintain your own creative drive or your own, what, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And uh, also taking into consideration whether or not people are going to like it or what it means for those people is a uh, something that doesn't necessarily have to be grappled with. Uh, and it is definitely kind of weird to bridge that gap, but you kind of have to you just kind of go with it. Is what I'm doing so outrageous that people won't like it? Well, then maybe I shouldn't do it. But at the same time, you know, if you really believe in it and it feels good to make it, then you just
0: that's what you make. To me, what I think I've observed with a lot of the people I like what they create is they first make it for themselves and then secondly, it aligns with other people. Like, I don't think you could ever... And, you know, it's human nature to want to be appreciated, but... Absolutely, yeah. And, like, any denial of that's silly, but, like, I think that... One of the reasons I had to stop making music for, like, you know, the local Screamo band that just had money was, like, I can't do anything except make what I want to hear on a record. And there's certain things I can learn to appreciate. Like, I can appreciate a Time Waits record just as much as I can uh, appreciate a Kesha record and appreciate the rawness or the slickness of those things. But I can only do what I find tasteful. And... I think it's always weird when I like I I never know how to square because you guys come from such an emotional place when you're also saying, okay, but I'm concerned with the crowd's reaction. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, let me think for one second. The, yeah, you could totally appreciate art in all its forms and uh, especially music. I, I think it would be – it takes a special kind of person who would create – and you could get into the debate of what is art. Well, just stick with songs. It would take a special kind of person to write a bunch of music that they don't like mm-hmm. uh, for, for whatever reason, whether it's uh, – I guess money it makes sense. Everybody has to get paid, but – it just it would be disingenuous music. It'd be disingenuous, and I don't think at the end of the day that oh, you know regular people like you or myself would be able to make that be able to sleep at night easily. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be you know it's not you're conflicted internally, and it's going to eat away at you unless you
0: are doing what you want to do. Totally. So. I know this year you've been interested in the pursuit of creativity. I was curious if there's any good creative lessons you learned this year.
1: You know, I, they're actually, yeah, I've been listening to, uh, I really want to get, I haven't read it yet, but it, several people have uh, told me to read Stephen King's On Writing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember we talked
1: about this, yes. Yeah, I talked about that. I really have to have to read that. But I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts and just talking with a lot of my friends. We we did a, a songwriting circle a little bit with a lot of Philly musicians. Really? Maybe so so tell, me, tell,
0: tell me about that.
1: Oh, it's great! A couple of us sat around. We only did it a few times. so We have to pick it back up. But everybody kind of sat around. We passed around acoustic guitar. You know, maybe like drink a couple beers or whatever, and then just uh, everybody plays their songs that they don't have that aren't finished yet, or we're working on, it or trying to find a part. And then everybody just kind of gives constructive criticism or and talks about the songs and gives uh, ideas and tries to help you look at it from a way that you're not necessarily used to looking at it. And oh. uh, just being around creative people, it's. Because we hang around with band people all the time. I hang out yes. people who work in the music industry all the time. But you don't always talk about the writing of the music or the actual – like the real key parts of being in a band. You're usually just talking about, oh, well, you hear this band did that or this tour sounds awesome and you know, so on and so on. But to actually be surrounded by creative people because I guess if you wanted to learn something about – in a normal academic subject or something, you go to school, you sit in, you have a structured lesson, you interact with all these people doing the same thing. But in music you don't necessarily have that, at least in punk uh, and like I guess this kind of like folk stuff. But yeah, being surrounded by those people, you really start to hear other perceptions. One of my most uh favorite ones that someone had brought up recently was looking at what you're writing or writing the song as its own as its own personality, like personify it. Kind of like the idea of the Greeks had the muses and mm-hmm. things like that, where you're actually just talking to whatever creative energy that you're tapping into. And interacting with it as a person, being like okay well it 's not going to work now we 're not getting to the end of this like it 's not working well then we 'll try tomorrow you know or uh, this is kind of like its own weird thing that happened because it 's not not very superstitious or anything, but mm-hmm. there 's definitely things that we don 't understand about ourselves and our mind and the way it works yet, and uh, people across cultures have kind of had somewhat of an inkling of this idea, and it seems to kind of make sense to me it 's really uh, really interesting. It seems like the best songs that we write are the best songs that i 've written myself. Have kind of you almost forget writing it. You look yes. down at the paper and you're like, "Wow, that kind of came from nowhere. It came from a part of myself or a part of the the universe around me that I just I'm not familiar with." <laughs>
0: you know, there's only two creative professors in America, and one of them is a guy um, whose name I'm going to butcher is Mahali Chrysanth Mahali. Wow. And uh, yeah, I, I'm reading this off the side of his book, but he wrote a book called Flow, and apparently, Flow is what explains this: is that when we get into Flow states, it's a lot like the Theta waves that monks are trying to achieve. Yeah. And then that's why we don't remember is that in those states, our brain goes solely into the con of perspiration. So the memory, what we would, the resource we would normally devote to memory disappears because it's all in perspiration.
1: That makes sense. That'd be really interesting to see uh, if someone was able to, I don't know, put a couple of really creative people in an fMRI or something and
0: see if there's actually changes in your brain when that happens. That is the case of uh, what happens with this. This guy is the guy who's done that.
1: Oh, that's, been, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's just, it, I mean, I think this is the funny thing is, is that, like, we're all pursuing this, and yet there's so little knowledge of, like, what we're doing, yet our society's, like, creativity's everything, and, oh, wow, well, we don't do much for it. Yeah. <laughs> But to no, get back, no, you send a
1: kid to school eight hours a day and just program him for that long in a week, and then you know, give him a couple hours of homework and expect him to be creative and happy. <laughs>
0: yeah, pro- pro- programming for memorization, not perspiration and synthesis. But uh, something that you said I thought was interesting in there was like about the commenting on each other and i think it's like so funny that when you do go to art school it's like you go to critiques when you write a tv show the actors and seven other writers are going to take your story and try to iterate and elaborate upon it and with music it's almost like oh my god you're not touching my work like it's (laughs) totally it's like really becomes this thing like this is my property and i i you know i've never understood that phenomenon
1: very strange Maybe be uh i don't know maybe it's a self-esteem issue or it's like uh maybe because it lacks that structure it lacks it doesn't have to be involve a bunch of people so you don't you kind of aren't ready for it
0: yeah and I, I think there's also like this myth that we get into that we're all going to create this thing that's so impeccable and i think that that can be a funny thing is that you know the, like one of the things that i remember struck me like with you guys is like when you guys came in to do that first record it's like I was used to having to rewrite drum parts for whole songs on most things I worked on. Then Joe comes in and just plays everything perfectly, and we're done (laughs) with drums on like 14 songs Mm -hmm. in like about seven hours or something ridiculous like that. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, there's nothing to do there. That's all perfect.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah, that's uh, uh, refreshing, especially now that we've been recording a bit. It's kind of – or that I've been recording with my friend Andy a bit. that's been also eye-opening on the creative process as well as just seeing other bands, how they record. That's a, a wild mm-hmm. experience. It's like uh, you go in thinking, that, oh, everybody does it the same way that I do it and then realize that it's completely different and people have completely different personalities in regards to that. And sometimes there's one person that writes songs or sometimes it's like the drummer that's kind of just surprisingly just the, the person who's making the decisions for everybody else. And yeah, very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the thing is anybody who applies a one size fits all thing to each record, I don't think gets a very good result. And you have to adapt to what comes in, in the various personalities. And that, that is a big thing is figuring out how you both compensate and uh, accentuate everybody's good qualities or bad qualities. Totally. It's definitely a psychological thing. So with that, you guys just made a new record with Will Yip. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, totally.
1: This was uh, th- this was very a, g- a great experience for us. This is the most prepared we've ever been. This is the most preparing mm. we've ever done. Like I said, uh, I told you before we can were I, can, I,
0: can I pause on that for one second? So, so sure. why was this the most prepared you were? Like, is there, did you guys do that intentionally?
1: Yeah, we have all this time off. This is the longest we've been home in eight or nine years. And we have been able to just work as a band. So we'd go mm. to uh, our space every single day for you know four or five hours a day and just work on songs all day. Wow. And if we got stuck in a funk and we couldn't finish something, then we just talked or played a cover or uh, worked on some other aspect of the band. It was just kind of... You know, it's not a nine to five by any means. You can still, you know, mm-hmm. there's a random, hey, I can't practice today. I got you know, this ridiculous thing I'm doing or this ridiculous thing I did last night that I'm paying for mm-hmm. it now. <laughs> yes. But, um, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's more often the case. So we were in, we were together and just on the same page and had
0: everything ready to go. Out of curiosity with that, whereas I, I one of the things I always think is funny with musicians is like, um. I'll talk to a band and they'll be like, well, last record, we were, we were rushed more than we wanted. We didn't have enough time to write. And you're like, but that record's fucking great, dude. <laughs> yeah. Did you, was that, it was having more time to do this a reaction or was this more just that this was finally the point you could slow down a bit because of what success you guys have received? I think the latter, it was
1: finally where you can be like, "All oh, right, you know what? We have this space. We're at home. Obviously, have had life changes, moved in with girlfriends, uh, we lived together. When we first moved to Philadelphia, we lived in a, the same house together with, I don't know, seven of us or something for a couple of years. And it was really ridiculous. And, and we were around each other all the time. And that made us really productive. But now we've got older and we've moved. We all still live in the same neighborhood, but we live in different houses and get into some different things. And this was a, a, a really a way for us to just be able to kind of relax and take it in and enjoy all the times that we had spent the previous years not being able to do that.
0: Mm. So you have more time to prepare, and then what happens with that process and then getting into the studio? So we had a lot of time to prepare.
1: We had a lot of time to work on tones and things or or, or ideas that we had. Pre-production, we were able to fully record it, and getting into the studio, we didn't have the pressure that we had had other times, which the pressure's great. You know, people do Mm -hmm. great things under pressure. We always have. There's been so many of the best songs we wrote, it was like, all right, we've got a week left to practice and then written like the three or four singles from the album that week Mm -hmm. uh, before going to the studio. But this time we went in and we actually, we spent a week and a half doing pre-production and rearranging some songs. And that was the first time. So now when
0: you say pre-production, was that you demoing on your own or with Will?
1: That was with Will. We went in and we, um, you know, just played the songs and, and, did some moving around of parts or doubling some parts and trying to get a good vibe for the song. And a lot of moving keys around to fit our vocals, which is something Mm. that we hadn't really spent that much time on before and didn't really have a good grasp on. And yeah, we just kind of fine tuned it so that by the time it was time to record, it just, it was a breeze. We just blew through it.
0: Mm. Awesome. So is there anything different we can expect on this record?
1: Definitely. It's not like, you know, some kind of outrageous takeaway from anything we've done in the past, but this, uh, this record is definitely, in my mind, better than anything we've done, from a songwriting standpoint, and uh, someone from a recording standpoint. It just it sounds so good, yeah. The songs we're just so happy with the songs. We really, really thought them out and tried to make a uh, an overarching theme and. Really, it just feels really good. And now that it's over, it feels real
0: good. So I'm just That's, yeah. Yeah. That's always the best part. As much, <laughs> as much as we all love the creative process, it's also yeah. really great when it's, fir- when it's fresh out of the oven. And uh, oh, the- yeah. So overarching theme, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, a lot of times on our records, we've tried to keep in uh, the idea of, a reflection of what's going on in our lives around Mm. us and now we're 30 years old you know turn 30 in two weeks wow yeah getting up there man that's crazy (laughs) yeah and uh the our lives are uh, way different than they were when we were 23 or when we were 20 Mm -hmm. so it's kind of trying to uh, we definitely touch on a departure from our 20s you know it's like a kind of not necessarily slowing down or anything but i think gained a little bit more wisdom and um What we lost in a lot of the super spurts of emotional confusion, I think we've gained in kind of
0: like a wisdom and a a wisdom in songwriting as well. So I think hopefully we balance it out. Very, very cool. Creatively, was there anything you guys learned with Will that was different than in the past?
1: Um, Yeah, we started to look at songs from a different perspective as a whole, uh, as a whole from perspective, sorry. Mm. Um We would look at them and analyze a song and because and, we have all kinds of people always have a preconceived notion of what should happen in a song where you 're supposed to go or mm-hmm. you know the things you learn in music theory and uh and when you you know the lower level classes of that and all that stuff and we kind of looked at it differently this time and thought, well, we always had this rule that we had to do this and uh, or you know say
0: so so what were some yeah, of the first chorus,
1: first chorus, double course that would be what we mm. do for gotcha. Uh, a single or something that we just, or, or like a really high energetic song that we just wanted to blast through. So we would always just write a formula somewhat similar to that. And this time we kind of were like, well, another song on the record does this as well. Why don't we write an intro or why don't we write a bridge that would really kind of tie these ideas together because they're not necessarily, the end of the song might be an outro that doesn't really, if you heard the end of the song, you might not know it was part of the song from the beginning. So why not do a better job of bridging that together? And yeah, i just asking a lot of um, why not Instead of asking why,
0: so. mm. oh, I like that. I like that. So, what my more uncomfortable question I always ask everybody: What's something you guys really enjoyed that everybody would be shocked by? Ah, uh, three eleven. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> be, Actually, I'm not. I'm not yeah, shocked right? by sense? It's a, <laughs> a former ska band at your age. Like I, you know, like uh, I have this concept that uh, everybody. When you're a certain age, there's some givens that you're gonna like that are just basically because of your age. Like you're a certain age, you're gonna like Limp Biscuit because that was what was resonant to you at oh, thirteen. Yeah. It's gonna be if you're a 13, 13 year old guitarist, you you liked Limp Biscuit. There's kind of no way around it, and I feel very bad for that you were bored <laughs> that year. <laughs>
1: That's true. I mean, my first I, uh, I remember first hearing Angry Music. It was always it was Limp Biscuit and Corn. I think were the first bands that they played on the radio in Scranton that were angry, and I was ate it up. I love that.
0: Mm, mm. I did not know yeah, that Yeah, well, I mean, you. you know, I had a year or um,
1: two and then fell off. But, you know, I'm, I haven't revisited it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to revisit it soon. Not Limp I'll to check out Corn again and be like,
0: I wonder what I liked about this. Uh, that would be my suggestion, too, as somebody uh, f- fluent in that world. But uh, so aside from 311, who else would would you oh, say? Oh, man. I'm not going to let you get off the hook I'm trying to think easily. of ones
1: that would be shocked because the thing is, is I know everybody, so I'm not shocked by it that much. Oh, Eric loves... I don't know what you'd call it, like new hip hop, kind of.
0: Mm-hmm. Like backpack. No, no, like or... the ones
1: that you like. Uh, uh, like uh, what's that guy from North Jersey? He's got a one eye. Fetty Wap. Uh, yeah, yeah, Fetty Wap loves that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Huh. Yeah.
0: I guess that wouldn't be an influence. I right. so wouldn't
1: really uh, answer the question, but yeah, that's.
0: I mean, is there a, a, any odd influence on your stuff? Like, I, I remember when you guys, uh, the, the, you know, everybody uh, thought the musical thing when you guys put those songs up on SoundCloud on like St. Yeah. Patrick's Day, that was a little bit different. Like, wh- wh- what oh, was yeah, that? Yeah, we from? Uh,
1: grew up listening to Irish music. I'd go to the Irish festivals with my mm-hmm. grandparents and I have relatives from Ireland, and they have, that was the music I was on all the time. And I know it was a similar situation for the other guys. And we were practicing on St. Patrick's Day in the morning and Joe just came up with the idea. He's like, fuck practice, let's just get a case of beer and record a Pogue song. So we started, we just got trashed <laughs> and then recorded a Pogue song in the uh, Fin Lizzy song. It's just a crappy live recording kind of going <laughs> for it, but it was, a yeah. lot of, it was a whole lot of fun. And that was one of the rewarding things of, I guess, the creative aspect is that we, had, we started the morning out and then actually created something and was done with it by the end of the day.
0: It was uh, like, that, that's you know, the most rewarding things in life. Nice, that is really rad. Tell me about the music that's been most resonant to you in the last oh, year. Oh man, in the last year, yeah, like record or two that really has uh, hit home to you. Uh, I've been my friend Roger Harvey released a record I've been listening
1: mm-hmm. to nonstop since you released it. Uh, it's just been my go-to anytime I'm going to, uh, you know, go out, take a long walk in the city or whatever. That's just go-to
0: record to put on for a long drive. It's, it's interesting. Like I, I think you just said something that's very unique to Philly uh, living, which is long walk and long drive. Whereas, like in New York, you either do one of those uh, yeah. two things. though well, I'm
1: thinking long drive more. So yeah, getting out, going to New Jersey or something like that. But yeah, definitely, definitely do those. This last year, I've been listening to a whole lot of Cayetana for new bands. That's like ah, yeah. I've had to play to play that record so many times. <laughs> but uh, I started to. This year was the first year where I really started to go back and listen to music that I had. Uh, whether it was a, a stigma about the people that I associated that listened to those bands or I just missed the boat or whatever. I started really going back and listening to music that I thought I didn't like and tried to see if I liked it a lot again. Hmm. Like yesterday I listened to uh, Appetite for Destruction for the first time all the way through. I never, never did it. Fuck
0: yeah. Really? Wow. That that, that So that's, that's the record I've listened to the most in my life because that was the first record that made me fall in oh, love well with awesome. music. Yeah, the
1: record rules. I had no idea. I mean I knew the hits and everything but uh, – A good friend of mine who's a little bit older had brought it up yesterday and was like, yo, man, I fucking love Guns N' Roses. And I was like, you know what? I don't know anything about them. I'm going to check it out. So listen, it was great. That's funny.
0: I mean, I think that's one of the most well-executed records ever made. Like there's really not a section of a song that you're like, wow, that's like totally unique hook. Every part. Any verse, chorus, bridge, intro, anything is Oh, totally. totally more of a hook than most records. Yeah, ever and I, lo-
1: I really love the way that it's recorded, uh, or at least the way that the guitars are, are composed, that it's not like more modern music, or at least like punk and music I'm used to listening to, where the guitars are very locked in, rigid, everything's kind of perfect. They kind of played a little bit more open style with each other. And When they have the guitars hard pinned in some of those songs, and I was like, wow, this is just awesome. It's really just kind of, like, rocking,
0: you know? You, you, you it's funny that I, were, I learned uh, uh, cool thing. So, you know, when they were mixing that record, the record they referenced the whole time was London Calling. Oh, no
1: shit. That makes total and,
0: sense. Wow. And then what it, it, it makes even more sense is then the next record is mixed by, I'm going to go out on a limb, because I, I'm terrible with names, Bill Price, who mixed London Calling, mixed Appetite for Destruction. Wow. I might have the name wrong, but whoever mixed or produced London Calling is who mixed uh Uh, use your illusions that's so awesome yep so i there's definitely a uh, correlation of like that they tried to get that classic blend and i think that that's an interesting thing is that to me is that while i don't always exercise that because i think people want something more modern but when you're going for a more classic sound that like i think where the guitars aren't pushed too forward like you're saying is like sometimes a thing that sounds more classic and right for the mix yeah absolutely If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creators' website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you are unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.